What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, it's a conspiracy. From human conspiracies involving animals to literal conspiracies of lemurs to a conspiracy of slander against some of the world's most misunderstood animals. We're getting out our thumbtacks and corkboards to connect the dots and sometimes spots. We're also going to reveal the answer to last week's Guess Who's Talking Mystery Animal Sound Contest. Discover the s'mores we answer the age-old question, should you trust that cat across the street or is it CIA? Joining me today to Redacted and Redacted is host of the hit podcasts Ridiculous History and Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, Ben Bolin. Katie, thank you so much for having me on the show. This is this is amazing. Uh we have we have hung out together on air before, yes. and I have I've definitely learned some things that uh surprised. Elephant uh, boobies. Uh, I remember. Yeah, I was I was going to say it in some cases haunted me. I will never look at woodpeckers the same. I know what's yep. going on with their tongues now. Wrapped around uh, their skulls. Yep. And uh, you told me that there was going to be a conspiracy episode of Creature Feature. When you said that, my mind went in a million places, but <laughs> I cannot wait to dive into this with you. Yes, yes. I... I feel like conspiracy theories have gotten really stupid lately. I mean, just oh, yeah. low low effort, dumb. The stuff, the anti-vax stuff, it's just really, you're just going to take horse medicine, you know? Yeah. It's just like, 
Like that's not the kind of animal conspiracy that that uh, I endorse personally. You know, leave the horses mm. alone. <laughs> yeah, let him let you know horse medicine should be for horses and I know that's something that a lot of um a hot take. Yeah, fans of recreational ketamine hate, <laughs> hate me for that one, but but the uh the the point of the matter is yeah, with with the term conspiracy theory, it's often especially in the modern day associated with things that are maybe politically fraught or things that start with a um a grain of uh, some grain of oft misunderstood truth, right? Uh, and then, or some iteration of an older conspiracy theory, and they spin out in the age of ubiquitous communication and social media. So, on stuff that I want you to know, we apply critical thinking to thing to everything that you could imagine occurring on an X Files episode, yes. basically. And yes. uh, and animals, uh, I think, can be a surprisingly big part of this a lot of people maybe aren't aware of just how many strange allegations there have been about uh, what humans do with animals and against animals themselves throughout the span of civilization yeah there's a lot of interesting folklore when it comes to animals we i love to talk about it on the show the the from dolphins river dolphins that emerge from the water and seduce your daughters to animals that oh people are licking these toads to get high there's all sorts of or all sorts of fun like little old wives tales sometimes they turn out to be true um but in terms of like real animal conspiracies uh, i was surprised to find how many like actual verifiable conspiracies do involve animals uh, and I'm I'm talking about real like we're really getting conspiracies like CIA level. We're going to be put mm -hmm. on a list somewhere. Conspiracy theories that uh, we're going to talk about because uh, like if you thought like, OK, yeah, you're probably going to do sort of like conspiracy like animal like a squirrel stealing another squirrel's nut. And, and that does happen. But now I'm actually going to talk about literal CIA conspiracy theories or sorry, literal CIA conspiracies involving animals during the Cold War. Ah, uh, I think I, I think I have an inkling of where we're going. And Katie, I love that you have you have made a very important distinction already, a brilliant distinction, which is bet the distinction between something we would call a conspiracy theory, which is also the way it's used does not is not. People aren't using the scientific definition of theory when they're saying right, conspiracy right. theory. It's me going uh, like, I bet, I bet bees run television. I bet it's bees. Like, think about it. Other than the one one channel that has a peacock as a mascot, right. the rest of it's bees. But, the rest of it's but bees. There, <laughs> the, the other idea, like the the thing you specifically mentioned here with the CIA is you said conspiracy, not yes. uh, conspiracy theory. I guess in the case of television, it would be a conspiracy. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Banned. Banned from the show forever. Banned. For a million He's years. Out. He's <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, but 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 you're abs you're absolutely right, and that's something that um that's something that people should be aware of uh, in the in the in the modern world, and then in the, even historical anecdotes, right? Yeah. Like if something. 
there are proven conspiracies uh, and then conspiracy theories often are just masquerading as fact. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, a conspiracy, you can sometimes like FOIA, like Freedom of Information Act request document, actually read about it. Real documents find out that there was indeed a conspiracy, whereas a conspiracy theory is you're up late one night and you're like, I bet birds are all surveillance drones and you're you're up <laughs> drinking coffee trying to take photos of the birds. Um, yeah, that's but yeah, in this case, uh, these are as far as they can be verified, uh, verified conspiracies. Uh, and of course, the Cold War was chock full of conspiracies because of all the spycraft going on, all the the fun little games we played when we both us and the USSR had uh, nuclear weapons that could wipe out all life on Earth. What a fun, fun time that was. Yeah, the U.S. trained animals to do spy work during the Cold War because the CIA is frighteningly weird. It's like, you know, these these guys control so much. They they have so much to do with geopolitics, the CIA. And then they're really just a bunch of dudes going like, bet I could train a spider. Bet I could do that. <sighs> uh, yeah, I... I always imagine this, you know, whenever you hear, especially about Cold War era plans, whether it's assassination attempts against Castro, uh, Fidel Castro or something like that, or whether it's the, the stuff that you're describing, my my first thought is always like, what is it? What is it like in their, you know, pitch room? And they have the equivalent of that is somebody... You know, do, is is there um, like a mental image with like a bunch of scrawled out plans right. on a blackboard, a bunch of crumpled paper, and yeah. then people just holding their heads in their hands, and then somebody's like, "No, yeah, spiders." Yeah, Guys, yeah. I, I, I imagine some guy just like tossing pencils up into the ceiling, going, <laughs> yes. "You know what? We should try out birds. Birds <laughs> as spies. Birds would make good spies." You guys remember birds, right? Remember birds. <laughs> Yes. You said yeah. you said Russia was not that far as far as the crow flies. That got me thinking. That got me thinking hard. <laughs> I like how they're increasingly mafioso too. <laughs> you know, like hey, birds. Forget about listen, it. Listen, forget about it. We'll deal with these Russians. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the CIA, in fact, recruited some of the most talented animal trainers, people who had studied B.F. Skinner's techniques. So. B.F. Skinner was, of course, the psychologist who came up with the Skinner box, a.k.a. operant conditioning. You can place a test animal like a rat into a box and reward it with food, or if you're unscrupulous, punish it with a slight electric shock. And through reward or punishment, you can teach it to pull the right lever to get the reward. Uh, so this idea that you could take an animal as seemingly simple as a rat, obviously we know that rats are quite complicated and intelligent, but you could train them to operate levers or or turn on a series of lights or something in order to receive the best reward or avoid the electric shock that it might receive was kind of a revelation. Uh, but so so these uh, animal behavioral experts who trained B.F. Skinner's techniques, who were these really good animal experts able to train animals in really 
unbelievable ways, were recruited by the CIA uh, for Cold War shenanigans. So one of the animal trainers recruited by the CIA was Bob Bailey, an animal trainer who worked for Animal Behavior Enterprises in Hot Springs, Arkansas. So he trained animals to perform in roadside attractions, including something that was called the IQ Zoo, where children and their parents could watch chickens play tic-tac-toe or raccoons play basketball. Just a fun all-American time. <laughs> Quick question, Katie. So I, I have heard of IQ Zoo, uh, but I know this is something a lot of folks listening in today are going to wonder as well. Are the chickens really playing tic-tac-toe? Are, are these animals that appear to be doing, you know, cutesy, human, intelligent things? Right. How, how are, in their, oh, I, we can literally say it, in their bird brains, <laughs> at least in the case of the chicken, mm -hmm. what, what's, what's happening in, uh, in this scenario? Often what is really happening is a clever Hans sort of situation. So Clever okay. Hans was that horse that could, quote unquote, do math. And uh, it was a horse uh, that was trained, I think it was back in the, near around the turn of the century, and it could stomp. Uh, so you would give it a math problem and it would, you know, stomp, like what's two plus two, and it'd stomp four times, eight plus 10, it'd stomp 18 times. Uh, mm -hmm. But it was actually looking to cues from its owner, subtle cues of when to stop stomping, and that's how it did math. So still using, being very intelligent, but no, not actually doing math. Now with chickens being trained to play tic-tac-toe, of course, they are likely not thinking through the rules of tic-tac-toe. They don't understand the concept of the game, but they are likely able to be trained to use visual cues of the tic-tac-toe board, uh, in order to do the thing that they know will get them the treat. So they could probably do some pattern recognition, uh, but they don't okay. think like, I am winning at this game of tic-tac-toe. I am Mr. Chicken. <laughs> I cannot wait for my corn reward. Uh, not but quite. To the, okay, but to the, C, the CIA um, operatives or agents who were, were considering this guy specifically as an asset, were yeah. they... Uh, is this like a movie moment that people might see in um, in a heist film, like where where you know you, in a heist film there's always like the the ringleader folks yeah. who go and observe a specialist and then say you know like that's our that's our that's person. Our guy. Yeah, no yeah. one picks a lock well, like this one. It's two of them driving on a road trip to do some CIA spooky stuff. Uh, and yes. then like some of the spy work, it's so easy. I think a chicken could do it. And then they see a chicken playing tic-tac-toe. He's like, I got an idea. Hey. I got an idea. <laughs> light bulb. Anybody else feel that light bulb over my head? Uh, so, so why did they, the chicken cross the road to spy on the Ruskies? <laughs> the, uh, the original and redacted punchline to that joke. So this is, uh, and it wasn't a joke in the beginning. So no. this, this really happened. So what did they, what, what, how, like, how do you, how do you start that conversation? If you're the CIA, like, do you, is it, is it like that Willem Dafoe meme where you're like, you know, I'm something of a tic-tac-toeist myself or something <laughs> to the chicken. You're talking to the chicken. 
I'm I, yeah, I'm not. I'm a, I gotta say, I'm impressed with your work here, Mister <laughs> Mister Klux. Sorry, it's just you gotta imagine. Like, I, I love the CIA operative, like bypassing the human trainer, yeah. right, and then just talking directly yeah. to the chicken, like fingers steepled, yeah. a little pile of corn on the table. <laughs> Uh, listen, uh, Mrs. Nugget, uh, I'm very in- interested in what you're doing here uh, at this organization. Uh, here's my card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it is. If it sounds kind of silly and absurd, I mean it is. It's uh, but you know the the CIA like got wind of these these trainers, uh, fabulous trainers at the IQ Zoo. The trainers would use the same methods they used to train a chicken to play tic-tac-toe or a raccoon to play basketball to help the CIA create animals for use as spies during the Cold War. So this included cats and pigeons and ravens. Um, Bob Bailey, the trainer we're talking about, also helped train dolphins for military use. So, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of shady animal stuff going on here. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that Bob Bailey and his other uh, animal trainers did during the Cold War was train ravens, the bird, to fly to a location and drop what appeared to be a piece of fallen roof slate, but actually it contained a spy microphone inside of it. So Uh a raven would land on a roof, a piece of slate would like drop down somewhere. You wouldn't think much of it. You'd just think like a piece of the roof uh, fell down. And then the raven would fly off, and there's it would leave a microphone there in its place. That's a pretty actually. So far of the of, of like the three that that we've named, that one's not a terrible idea. Because no, it's not. Is it? Ravens are so crazily intelligent. They're right? very smart. Yeah, corvids, uh, including ravens and crows. Magpies. Yes, very very intelligent. Uh, trainable in the sense that if it sees a benefit to your relationship, maybe you could get it to do something. It's uh, not not like a dog that is naturally willing to work along with humans. But yes, they are strictly speaking trainable. And yeah, that that in terms of spycraft is rather impressive. Also, I think I read that Raven is also the name of a, a male spy who is meant to seduce people. So. Uh, the oh, I guess the counterpart yeah. to Black Widow. I'm not sure if that's what is. That's just the Marvel name for it. But yeah, but, but I think it's from yeah. I think the Spy Museum yeah actually confirmed it, which is which is a thing. We're not doing a bit. That's, yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, spy spy work. You since like those kinds of things were used uh, in, in spy work. It's hard to know like how successfully and how often, but definitely, yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I guess these ravens were not really seducing anyone uh, necessarily. They were just dropping microphones on on window ledges. Mm-hmm. But th- so that that plot is actually kind of cool and interesting. But other things they tried to do are a little more, uh, you know, shows that maybe our bloated uh, military and spy budget were not always used to uh, the best uh, that we could have done. With that money, such as trying to train arthropods like bedbugs, mosquitoes, or ticks to detect the approach of humans. Now, to be fair, 
Uh, it's not a terrible idea. Uh, bed bugs, mosquitoes, or ticks are parasites that will feed on humans. So the idea that they would maybe get a little bit excited at the approach of a human, it's not, it's not dumb. It's not, it's not a bad idea. Uh, the, the mm. trick is, uh, you know, how, how do you train a mosquito? <laughs> yeah, there's, I, I, I can, I'm not an expert, but I can also already imagine there would have to be a lot of science that I am not aware of, or there would have to be some mosquitoes that uh, ha are much more intelligent yeah. than I have ever acknowledged. And if that is the case, then I would like to get in front of this and apologize wholeheartedly to the entire mosquito population. <laughs> Uh, luckily, you're probably never going to have to pay for your anti-mosquito crimes in mosquito court because, indeed, they are not very smart. Uh, another problem is they don't live very long, so you go to the trouble to train a mosquito and then right. going to be dead pretty soon. So you got to train a whole new generation of mosquitoes. But, yeah, they did see some potential use of mosquitoes to see, like, okay, maybe a mosquito could detect an incoming human uh, the other uh, insects that they tried on, it didn't really work that well. Um, but yeah, I don't think that technology was ever really useful. I think modern technology like, uh, you know, heat sensing vision and, and things was much, it, it just, it, there was no way to compete with uh, the evolving technology. Like mosquito, having a mosquito in a jar to see if someone was approaching turns out not to have been the... Uh, amazing military technology to win the Cold War. I didn't think I'd be saying this sentence today, but with with all due respect to uh, both, both the members of the CIA and the mosquitoes in question, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not... It, it's an idea that has an understandable genesis or evolution, right? A, mosquitoes and uh, these other parasites can rely on people for sustenance so they're smart they're smart enough to find people on their own right right or right. quote unquote smart enough so maybe we can just sort of weaponize this or focus it but I, I i do think one thing we should mention when we're talking about these stories which are by the way just going to get more ridiculous folks is that when when intelligence agencies uh especially the Especially the CIA and some some of the other uh, some of the uh, like their foreign counterparts during the Cold War when they had these ideas that seemed so out of the box they were kind of first they were on a mad search for any kind of edge yeah secondly there was not a ton of oversight so you could have this thing where people are just sort of like yes anding themselves <laughs> into stuff that feels the absurd. world's most insufferable improv troupe it is and it's the only improv troupe with a lot of money right? <laughs> right so this is so that's that's what happens it's it's highly unlikely that some some person just walked into a CIA headquarters and like clapped their hands yeah. yeah and stopped everything and said i had the most i like i got stung by a mosquito yeah. when i was coming to work and it's guys it was like the when the apple yeah fell on isaac newton yeah i hey, just fellows, saved us me harold hill mosquito salesman yeah uh, <laughs> right it just it it, it, it like it, drifts yeah. that way over right. time and I also think. i mean 
you know, the CIA doing all sorts of experiments with LSD. I'm sure there was yes. some, you know, it's as if none of them tried it. I mean, come on. Come on. <laughs> but didn't pan out, huh? No, no, it didn't really. Uh, another thing that didn't quite pan out is, of course, you may have heard of this, the cyborg cat spy. Oh, it's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have... I, I, Full disclosure, folks, uh, I have two cats that live with me, uh, and I, uh, like a lot of people, during the pandemic, I was, uh, you know, uh, Katie, you and I are making a ton of podcasts, right? So I had, I started recording at home, and now these cats are just like the, the worst producers I've ever worked <laughs> with, and I have to be careful because they... So that they don't hear me, but cat cats already, um, from what I understand, occupy a pretty interesting position in in human society in terms right. of the relationship with us because there's a there's an open question. I guess the the way it gets phrased in layman terms is the the open question is did cats domesticate themselves? Like mm -hmm. to what degree are they? Would would you consider them? Um, domesticated would it be the same way as something like a dog uh are they and then you know the big question the the reason that question is important here i imagine is because the next question is can you train them like a dog right what this is also i believe this experiment occurs before that other study which is way more recent that seems to indicate cats do know their name and they do know when you're talking to them they simply don't care yeah they just don't choose to acknowledge you at this time which is yeah. their choice well to answer your question which is something mm. that I, I think comes up a lot because of course i think we're very naturally curious about the two most popular pets in the world's dogs and cats i love them both i can't pick a favorite uh, i have a mm. dog i'm hoping to soon get a cat so uh i'm on both teams um Same. but like uh yeah, I, I think in terms of domestication, for sure, dogs are far more domesticated than cats. It's just that is that is how it is in terms of genetics and in terms of our history with them. But in terms of training an animal, you can train a cat. It's very difficult, much more difficult than with a dog, just based on... I mean, dogs, again, we've had this really long evolutionary history with them where they have co-evolved with us to pick up on our cues that we give them, our, our you know, gestures, our cues. They're highly attentive and they're more social than a cat is. So they have that social intelligence that a cat doesn't necessarily have. A cat's plenty intelligent, but it does not apply that intelligence towards uh, being social, as you <laughs> may know. All right. Uh, yes, yeah. Nevertheless, Bob Bailey and the CIA did create a trained cyborg cat. Basically, a cat with acoustic devices surgically implanted in it that was trained to eavesdrop on human conversation. So, a half nightmare, half kind of cute concept. Like, ah, oh, yeah, spy cat. But also, it had all this junk implanted into it, which is a little weird. So... Mm. It was remote controlled by tones that were played in each of its ears. So like a sort of just a solid like beeping tone in uh, one ear or the other. And that would direct it to go left, right or forward. 
and it had a recording device implanted, I believe, inside its rib cage, which, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's like a RoboCop cat, uh, kind, yes. of a, kind of a nightmare situation. Mm. It's, a, it's a real life cyber cat. And it's interesting, too, that the, I think for, for a lot of us in 2021, as we're recording this episode, it seems like some pretty, pretty advanced technology Right and pretty right. advanced conditioning, I believe, to to somehow teach a cat to turn at a tone to remote remotely control an animal like this. Um, also, not great for the cat. No, you know, to no, have that kind of invasive surgery. I imagine. No, I mean, generally speaking, I don't really like the use of animals in. Uh, in the military or in war, I, I just, it's, it's not, not my favorite, uh, mm -hmm. thing. Doesn't, it's not very heartwarming to me. It's just kind of like, well, that, that's gotta suck. You know, war sucks for humans and animals. It's just, just kind of sucks. Yeah. I don't really like the idea of a cat being implanted with a bunch of things. And it's like, all right, go spy on the Russians for us, you know, and then, uh, maybe we'll give you some wet, some of the good wet food. Uh, but you know, it is, it is fascinating in the sense of that, first of all, that you can tra train a cat to do these things, which really, uh, I mean, borderline train a cat to do these things, but also that we would come up with this idea. It just, it seems it's absurd. And I think it's kind of, there's always this sort of decorum around war that's the super serious, like, we are serious people, serious men making serious decisions about the fate of the world. And it's like, let's just make a cyber cat. I don't know. Just a mm -hmm. cyber cat and send it out there and have it listen listen to people. And it's it's so wacky and crazy and goofy. And it really does kind of make you take a step back and like, oh, yeah, like, like Cold War stuff was actually as scary as it was and, you know, the whole like, oh, we could destroy the whole planet tension going on. It's really kind of goofy. Just a bunch of nerds like threatening to kill each other. <laughs> I love I love that summation. This is also for for larger context, folks. This is also when um, the, the same era during which someone in the U.S. government said, Hey, what if we just sort of nuked the moon? You know, <laughs> like the the Mister Show sketch about that is not it, it. It they're brilliant writers, but it didn't come from nowhere. And so I I completely see what you're saying. It's a very important point. Right, so, like, so, so legit, yeah. someone in the CIA was proposing we nuke the moon. Yes, it, the idea was that. Uh, I can't remember if it was exactly the CIA, but um, there was a report in the 1959 uh, that outlined plans to not not completely destroy the moon, hmm. but to uh, to deploy nuclear weapons on it uh, in something called Project A one one nine because the government is usually terrible at naming things in the U.S. and is, is, at least their secret projects. I, I'm only bringing this one up because they wanted to use these weapons, I think, to ultimately build a colony on the moon. Mm. But the 
the the reason that's important for today's show is that it just gives you a sense of the broad suave here. Like in this context, the idea of cyber cats is is not that crazy. Indeed, it might <laughs> seem like an affordable um, in uh, uh, alternative to putting in a human asset or a right. human spy, right? right? Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, if it's between nuking the moon and creating an army of cyber kitties, I guess <laughs> I'm team cyber kitties. I don't know. It's That's a tough one. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, the more research you do into this, the more it's just like you realize these people were like working at the level of the CIA are often just like big kids, you know, with the magnifying glass look like burning up ant colonies. <laughs> A little mm -hmm. scary, but yeah, I mean, in terms of Cyber Kitty, uh, there's a sad ending to it because uh, basically by the accounts that seem to make the most sense, the cat was dropped off by some American op operatives uh, in, in Soviet Russia to go do its spy work and then immediately run over by a taxi. Just almost oh, wow. immediately run over by a taxi like i um, took a few daring steps to go on its little kitty mission you know like uh spy music playing in his head you know meow 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 and then boom mm -hmm. taxi yeah real sad some people who were part of the cia animal training program dispute this account but they of course they would because it's horrible <laughs> and embarrassing yeah. and sad um they vague, but their defense was not just they would vaguely say like, no, the, the program was promising. They didn't like say like, no, of course the cat didn't die. They just was like, no, no, it was it was a promising program. Very promising. Uh, promising. Yeah, okay. very promising. Uh, <laughs> but Tom Vanderbilt wrote a great article for Smithsonian Mag, which I, I used a lot of this for my research for this section. Uh, and apparently he put out a request for a freedom of information of FOIA on the CAT project and was met with rejection from the CIA. So this is still kept tightly oh. under wraps. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. The only unredacted information on the program basically is summarized as, uh, quote, the program would not lend itself in a practical sense to our highly specialized needs. That's it. And then the rest is just redacted. So what else did they do with these damn cats? Mm-hmm. And why? And and what was the uh, rationale for redacting? It? I we, bet we, embarrassment. I bet. They, I, I wonder. I bet they got humiliated by these cats. I bet they got scratched, like like mm -hmm. you know, uh, Agent Smith uh, is uh, reporting that he got scratched by Mr. Mittens, uh, and mm -hmm. he got very angry, and Mr. Mittens called him a stinky cat, and then when we mm -hmm. went back to his office, it turns out that Mr. Mittens had left him a quote-unquote uh, deliverable on his chair, and uh, of course, so we needed to terminate the project. <laughs> so Love it. Yeah. I love it. It's all, all the redactions are, are yeah. just cutesy names yeah. they gave the cats and they're embarrassed yeah. or or their names that are like would have been bad for their careers if they got <laughs> out you know right, I, right. I i don't know where the puns go but that that is fascinating because that that does mean that there's there is some sort of secrecy yeah well you know what else this. you know what else mm. been the records of the animal behavioral enterprises that roadside attraction company that the 
uh, CIA like uh, plundered for consultants. Mm-hmm. All of their records burned in a fire in 1989. 89, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't. It's it's just like all their records. Uh, like, oops, all burned in a fire. Oh well. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to say it's a conspiracy to cover up some, like, deep state chicken nonsense. Know, right. Uh, but I'm also not going to not say that. Yeah, cut to, cut to like, a, 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 a trail of gasoline, like, drops of gasoline. <laughs> and then, like, around the corner, hidden in a, in a nearby building, we see the, just the silhouette of a chicken in a window. And it's bark, just bark. quietly... Yeah, exactly. Bark, 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 <laughs> bark, <Yes>. bark. <laughs> That's how chickens cackle. That mm-hmm. is something that Katie and I researched. Uh, bark, 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 bark. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah. So that's 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 nuts, though. I had no idea that those records had burned down. And we do have to say, in fairness, for a long time, having records. Uh, "Quote unquote," accidentally destroyed was uh, could be a believable thing. Yeah, it does. I mean, fires do happen, and this, I, well, yeah. I mean, like, but but this is almost the 1990s. Yeah, so things things could burn down in I, I think more plausibly when there wasn't a ton of electronic storage of right, any sort. Right. But 1989 is, I mean, it's not quite like the age of the internet, but that's still. The kids would call it sus. Game. Yeah, I just wonder what like sort of dark chicken psychic uh, stuff projects, like a psychic chicken they created. Uh-huh. We'll just never know. You know, maybe basketball playing raccoons that uh, you know then were trained as assassins. We'll just we'll never know. We'll never know. Uh, We do have to take a quick break, but when we get back, we are going to talk about another animal conspiracy, this time with no humans involved. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. 
You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So we have talked about CIA conspiracies where they train cyber kitties. Uh, but, you know, it's um, like, are we the only animals who can actually form a conspiracy? Uh, you know, is it are humans just uniquely devious, uniquely plotting? And I would say no. In fact, there is a very real conspiracy out there. Uh, you'll have to go to the island of Madagascar to find them because a group of lemurs is a conspiracy. What? Yeah. No way. Yes. That's the name? That's the group name? That is the group name. A group of Amazing. lemurs is called a conspiracy. Now, likely they get this name because they like to huddle up uh, together as if they are planning something. Um, but maybe that's not too far from the truth. So... First, let's talk about what lemurs are. There are actually many species of lemurs, all found on the island of Madagascar, which is an island that has an incredible amount of biodiversity. Uh, lemurs are primates. They are quite social, and they're typically arboreal, so they live in or near trees. The most well-known example of a lemur is a ring-tailed lemur. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yes, and... Uh literally there's not too much to the name they're ring-tailed lemurs because yeah. of that distinctive pattern on their tails right exactly I, I always thought lemurs were uh so fascinating because you know n not everybody would think of them immediately when they think of primates right but they yes. have but but they have a um i, I think they have some surprising uh, surprising behavioral aspects to them. Yeah. Any social animal would, right? Yeah, I mean, so lemurs are interesting because they they are primates, um, but they're very, they don't have the face of like, you know, a typical, like what you'd see on a monkey or an ape. Uh, and they are thought to be much more, a much sort of earlier offshoot of the primate phylogenetic tree and so they're a little little less uh developed a little less uh intelligent uh and uh sort of like in our evolutionary path from sort of like tree shrew-like animals to humans uh the lemurs are a fairly early little little branch off the tree however they do have some pretty interesting social behaviors uh they also are extremely diverse so the um, I think the ring-tailed lemur is probably the most well-known example. They've got that ring tail. They've got the cute little mascara, so they're very photogenic. Um, but there are lots of different lemurs. Actually, the smallest lemur is the mouse lemur, uh, and specifically the species that is the smallest of the mouse lemurs is Madame Bertha's mouse lemur. Uh, what? <laughs> what? Or maybe Madame Bertha's. I'm not sure. It might be a German Madame Bertha's or Madame Bertha's. 
uh, Mouse Lemur. That name sounds straight from a children's book. Yeah. To be honest. But, but, uh, Reginald, get that Madame Spurtis <laughs> Mouse Lemur out of the tea room. It doesn't belong in the tea room. Once upon a time in a very, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, this, and these, these dudes are tiny, tiny, tiny. 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 <laughs> like, tiny, how tiny. do you, <laughs> I'm I'm always fascinated by uh when I when I see animals like this like if you well I maybe I'm saying if you're if you're like most people cuz I want to feel better about my incorrect assumption here but when if if I saw a picture Madame Berta's or no uh if I just saw a picture of any mouse lemur I would think the immediately immediately the same thing. I would be like, "That's a rodent, right? Yeah. Surely that's a ma- that's yeah. mouse size. Yeah, look, they're it looks, rats bigger. Well, they kind of look like mice too. So mm-hmm. it only reaches up to about under four inches long, which is nine centimeters, and just about an ounce, which is about thirty grams. And they got mouse-like ears, little mousy face. They have a thick tail, so a thick prehensile tail, but they look like grumpy, cute little mice. They're adorable, uh, very fluffy, and looks like um, looks a little bit like a, a chinchilla uh, with a really long, thick tail and yeah. bigger eyes, bigger front-facing eyes. That's the big difference between them and like a rodent, a typical rodent. They have those front-facing eyes, which is typical of predators or foragers who really need very good uh, eyesight, whereas a lot of rodents don't have the front-facing uh, eyes they have. It's a little more side-to-side. Yeah, so these are actually lemurs, not mice. Uh, they're not the most complex of the lemurs in terms of their social behaviors. They're not antisocial. They'll sometimes chill together, but they don't really form complex groups uh, like the ring-tailed lemur. And they mostly forage for food in trees. They're very opportunistic. They'll eat fruit, but they'll also eat insects. Uh, and yeah, they are they are absolutely adorable. Ring-tailed lemurs, on the other hand, are, are bigger. They're about the size of a cat with a long, bushy, ringed tail, bright orange eyes, and a fantastic smoky eye shadow that I'm highly jealous of. <laughs> it's got gray fur on its back white tufted ears, a white belly. They're also adorable, absolutely adorable. Uh, and they are highly social. They form large social groups of around 30 individuals, and they live in a matriarchy. That's right. That's oh. right. We got we got one. We want we won <laughs> one gals. <laughs> yes. And these are these are pretty big societies too, yes. you know, just I mean, 30 individuals yeah. is pretty impressive. Are they, uh, so if they're matriarchal, then are they also, uh, are are these groupings largely like family-based or do they have different, and, and I guess my other, I have so many questions because <laughs> I, these are fascinating. So <clears throat> we know that sometimes there's intergroup conflict between other like other kinds of primates right mm-hmm. you know chimpanzees and one side of the forest will say you guys are total bastards yeah the, the chips of the other side of the forest uh do do lemurs typically 
like, are they known for exhibiting uh, intergroup aggression of any sort? Or is it more like, we're cool, you're cool. I, I guess what I'm asking is, what's their vibe? <laughs> their vibe is, it's not, it's sometimes very chill, and sometimes mm. it's not chill, dude. It's not chill at all. What? Yeah, so they Cartoons go from- Cartoons lie to me? They go yeah. from being very chill to being kind of unchill, but in a little bit of a chill way. I'll I'll explain in detail. So, okay. uh, yeah, so they are a matriarchy, and they do have a core to each of their troops, which usually is family members or relatives of female lemurs. They're not; they don't all have to be related, but usually you have this core group of female le- lemurs. Sometimes they can be relatives. Sometimes they will come in and join a new group. Um, but they are the, they're the core of that group. And then there is a hierarchy amongst them. Usually the strongest, uh, most dominant females uh, went out in terms of, you know, who they get to boss around and, and access to mating opportunities. But in terms of uh, males, males are typically automatically um, more uh, subordinate to any of the females in the group. And males don't really have a hierarchy that much. They, they do have one loosely based on their age. So the older males are going to be uh, take precedence over the younger males in the groups. But males kind of like are like satellites to these uh, lemur troops because they will sometimes stay with a troop and then sometimes they'll move off to another another troop of lemurs. And this is a thing that often happens in... Uh, social groups of animals, like even lions, this is the case because you have uh, you'll have males who really are kind of a temporary presence. Either they move off to a new group, or they die fighting a new male who comes in, or or are chased out by new males uh, because the the females kind of are the core of the prides for lions. And with lemurs, uh, not only are they the core group of these these troops, they also are socially dominant. Mm. So they do actually have conflicts. And so one of the ways that males will resolve conflicts with one another is, and it can be conflict over territory, it can be over mating opportunities, and often troops will will conflict somewhat with this, but they uh, have what are known as stink fights, where the uh, both male and female lemurs have some glands uh, near their butts that they can use to mark their tail, ter- <laughs> mark their tails and their territories. Mm-hmm. And, and they also have uh, males have these uh, very stinky spurs on their wrists that uh, it's basically a gland, a stink gland with their musk and a spur on their wrist that they can use to scratch at a tree and leave their marking. But they can also rub it all over their tails and anoint their tail with their own personal brand of stink and then Mm -hmm. when they are in a conflict with other males they will waft their stinky tail at them until one of them uh, gives up what wait that's the fight yeah i mean they do have physical fights but often animals will attempt to establish who would be the most likely to win the fight without actually doing the fight so that yeah because it's costly to fight uh this is often the case with like say uh let me see what's another 
example. Oh, there's a lot of animals, like a lot of fish species who will compare jaw size or reptiles. They'll open their mouths and try to see who's got the bigger mouth. And uh-huh. then they, whoever gets the bigger mouth wins because then they get to avoid actually fighting each other. And it's just assumed, okay, you have a bigger mouth. You could probably chomp me better. We, let's assume you would win this fight and then neither of us have to get injured fighting. So it's, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's a similar thing with the lemurs. It's like they, they do resort to physical fighting sometimes, mm. um, but uh, in order to reduce some of the injuries, having a non-physical fight of like, look, I've got a strong, stronger musk than you. I'm just overall, I've got a bre- better stage presence than you. Just uh-huh. give up, bro. Like, and I'm, then, yeah. I'm picturing, I'm picturing the, some, I, I don't want to, anthropomorphize of course but no please do (laughs) okay all right well then we're going for but it's just as a as a human analog i'm picturing like how would you know uh college dive bar fights go if if humans did this like if someone like they like compared bo with their arms up college guys don't do that i feel like they do like it might depend on the school or the bar. I feel like to. they definitely do. They're like, bro, check the it out. All... Check it out. Check out my gym stink, bro. I got yeah. a real good gym stink. And so someone's like, oh, you want to go? You want to go? And then they're like raising their arms yeah. and they're going, you sure? You sure? I like, that's that... why uh, guys take their shirts off before fighting is to like, like you want to sniff these pits, bro? You really <laughs> want to come like at these to. pits, bro? I'm kind of lonely. That's why I lash out. No, uh, but, but but like the other the other comparison would be perhaps this is slightly more apt, though this is not uh, to be clear scientifically is not the same thing as as a um, a musk or an anal gland there. But what if what if people were like, oh, you wanna you wanna go you wanna go, dude? Let's settle this uh, old school Milwaukee style, and then they just like start farting at each other. Yeah, I don't know. No offense, Milwaukee. I made that up. I think, no, I bet they do do that. (laughs) Right in to confirm. (laughs) (laughs) Direct it all to Benjamin Bolin on uh, Twitter. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Uh, So, but uh, this does, I mean, you make a brilliant point, though. Like the idea of avoiding injury in the wild when possible. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you are like, so especially among conspecifics, that means like members of your own species, you're not fighting them to eat them typically, sometimes, sometimes, Uh, but you're not actually going to gain anything from injuring them other than reducing competition, gaining access to territory and mates. So if you can have your like, quote unquote, fight, like basically sports, you know, a fake a sport is kind of like a fake, you know, fight between two teams. And then you can mm-hmm. kind of be like, okay, we're pretty sure we would win. So we don't, none of us have to get our eyes clawed out, right? Like we don't, we don't have to go through that. So like uh, not chill on one hand, but kind of chill on the other hand, you know, it's like going to the, to going to the beach and having a really intense surfing contest where it's like, you know, maybe <laughs> someone's cutting into your wave. It's like both chill vibes and unchill at the same time. It's sort of a Fermi chill paradox. <laughs> That's a quotable for this episode. <laughs> yes. But another cool thing about these little guys, I love them so much. They sunbathe regularly and they will sit in the lotus position with their 
arms outstretched, their their heads up, just uh, sort of sitting on like um, with their knees up like a human and just like uh, chilling out in the sun and they look like they're doing yoga and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing. It's so it's such such good vibes. I'm pulling up a picture now and I've re- I recognize some of these things from my my years in the meme minds of the internet. <laughs> this is probably my favorite thing in the episode because this is the energy that we I, I think all primates need. Yeah. You know, I I I cannot imagine seeing this in real life. Like if you are if you live in this area is it just normal? Are you like, oh, that's, you know, that's just the lemur. Yeah, just a chill vibes lemur. I mean, I think so. Yeah, just they like to, they like to sun themselves. Their their fur on their bellies is a little thinner than their fur on their back, which is good for thermoregulation when it's hot. But when they want to mm-hmm. warm up, they got to, they got to sunbathe their bellies. So, Which is why it's lighter colored too, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Ah. Yeah. So they love, and also... They purr when they're happy. What is going on with these dudes? <laughs> what is so? I did not know that was a primate thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not exactly, but lemurs do it. So you know, primates make a lot of vocalizations, but purring when they're happy. I mean, that's that's a that's definitely a, a lemur. Lemur thing, uh, yeah, but it's it it is it is weird because again, while these are primates, they are not very like us. They're they're not much like us at all, except mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of their ability to scheme. So I didn't bring them up just because the the name for a group of lemurs is a conspiracy of lemurs. They are able to, in a very basic sense, conspire. So. What? Uh, there's a lot of research on lemur intelligence because, of course, we're interested in the evolutionary trajectory of primate intelligence, and it's assumed that they're not really that smart. That you know they're, eh, you know they're social. They're they're adorable. Like they purr the best animal ever, but maybe they're not that intelligent. However, there's uh, some research that seems to suggest they do have some tricks up their cute little sleeves, which is they are able to plot a theft out. And so they will be presented with some treats in some boxes. And they know that if a researcher who's in the room catches them trying to get a treat, the researcher will cut off access to that treat. Uh, and so, uh, they will not try to get the treat when the researcher is watching, but as soon as the researcher turns their back, then they'll go for it. Uh, and they time their, their treat extraction based on whether the researcher is looking at the treats or if the researcher has their back turned. So, right. So they are intelligent enough. They understand that they cannot get away with a crime if they are currently being surveilled. So <laughs> it may seem like a low bar uh-huh. for intelligence, but it's it is actually quite impressive. It's something that dogs are capable of, and dogs are highly socially intelligent. They co-evolved with us. We may, you know, in fact, a lot of primate research is like being replaced with dog research because dogs are we've discovered over the years 
so highly socially intelligent that uh, that a lot of kind of research that is hard to do with primates because you know it's it's hard to do it ethically it's you know logistically but with a dog you can have someone bring their pet dog in to do a study where they get treats and it's great and it's fine so that's pretty amazing too yeah because that's pattern says pattern recognition that's um object permanence of a sort too like that's theory of mind a very basic basic theory of mind where they show an understanding that if that this other being this human researcher has a visual perspective and that visual perspective if it is on them they can't get away with stealing and then if it's directed somewhere else they can get away with stealing it's very good um of course there's a limit (laughs) well limit to their intelligence they found that uh they do not seem to understand how to keep things on the down low uh so if you need to keep things quiet Uh a lemur is not your guy to get for your heist uh they found that when they rigged boxes with a booby trap of like bells to make some noise so they reached their hand and the treat box, and then some little jingle mm-hmm. bells go off, and then the researcher notices, and they don't get their treat. Lemurs couldn't couldn't understand this concept. They did not show uh, any preference. They kept, you know, triggering the jingle bell alarm, the very, very clever jingle bell alarm system, and uh-huh. uh, kept getting caught in the act. So, you know, really easy security to uh, stop a lemur from stealing your stuff. Uh, not you don't have to invest a lot in a security system i see and so this might be part of the reason that despite their uh comparatively high intelligence they they wouldn't be the best spies well there are a number of reasons first off the kgb would have been like what what is that and now then, you tell me, Boris, have you seen, <laughs> is Lemur indigenous to this area? I did not think if, so, no. <laughs> he's a, you know, what is this? He's a yeah. were raccoon? Yeah. Uh, like, I need to, to me, put lemurs... down the sol- stolkniya. I, I get to make these jokes because I'm roughly half Russian, so. Ah, I'm okay. Allowed. I'm allowed. <laughs> You're allowed. Um, this this is, uh, is interesting because... Um, when you first said they they wouldn't be great at keeping things on the down low, I did a hundred percent anthropomorphize, and I thought, oh, these are the these lemurs are the if they had social media, they would be the oversharers. Yeah, yeah. Right? I imagine they would though. Well, maybe we could train them to use social media because we have been able to train them to use touch screens. So there was what? a study that showed. That they could figure out how to use a touch screen to get sugar cube rewards by clicking the correct symbol on the touch screen. So, oh no, it's only a matter of time before they get their little stinky paws on Twitter. Oh, they're gonna be all over Twitter (laughs) and Instagram, Mm -hmm. and they'll the the it'll be the minute by minute. Yeah, get into stink fights on Twitter. That's what we should call Twitter fights, just stink (laughs) fights. Stink fights. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they would be like. Uh, yeah, they would, they would probably also use a lot of abbreviations. They would be like, today is hard AF, but I, uh, but TBH, I just won a IRL wave mistake. And then, <laughs> oh, and lol. And, uh, LOL, yeah. Yeah, people would love it. People yeah. would lo- love a lemur on the internet. Lemur I think on the internet is- would, yeah, it'd be an internet sensation. 
book deals, movie deals, influencer, uh, <laughs> stinkfluencer, you know, just a uh, game over. Game over. But uh, there's okay, but that's that's interesting because I know one of the one of the thoughts, at least that that I'm aware of about what lemur intelligence can show the human species um in uh, about our own story right because we're so self-obsessed is uh is that they their intelligence is at least partially i don't know what the if there is a causal relationship or how you would how you would articulate this but their relationship with one another their social aspect is like an inherent force of intelligence, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, if you are an animal and your means for survival is uh, social, the idea is that being social requires a lot of intelligence. So Mm. it's something that because you are having to, on a very rapid basis, Use your cognitive skills to understand what another individual in your group is doing, uh, what their motivations are, what what you are, how your interaction with this individual is going to play out. So, the in, in sort of general terms, the more so, the more social an animal is, often they can reach greater heights of intelligence, and we see this kind of as a as a as a theme. So, like. Uh, dolphins, elephants, primates, all very social, some of the most intelligent animals. see We see it with birds as well. Some of the most intelligent birds are highly social. Corvids, crows, mm. ravens, magpies, very social. Parrots, very intelligent, highly social. They live in huge colonies, sometimes of hundreds of individuals. So yeah, being social really, really helps you wise up because your survival it then doesn't rely so heavily on just your physical uh, abilities, but also your mental abilities to be able to get along with your group and provide things for your group. And then you will get things in return. And so, yeah, you, you, um, it's, it is very interesting to me. It seems like most of the, uh, it doesn't mean that if you are social, you will necessarily, uh uh-huh. evolved to have a really uh very high intelligence or or metacognition like humans do but it is one of the things that seems to um really you know be a determinant of of intelligence now counterpoint you can have something that's not social at all like an octopus that's evolved its brain completely independently from humans uh, and I, I mean it like they branched off so early. We basically branched off at the point of like a worm thing with like just a few oh, neurons. Yeah. Like our common ancestor is like, yeah, basically like a little flesh tube with maybe some neurons. And then they evolved their own set of eyes, their own brain independently from mammals and humans. And they're very intelligent and they're not oh, social. So so there is, de- I would not say that the only intelligent animals are social. It, there does seem to be a correlation, but it is, it's crazy because octopu- octopuses are the most alien thing we can really have access to yeah. on this planet. And they're very intelligent. Very, and they seem to have a sort of, you know, obviously we can't get inside their heads, but they seem to have a curiosity about humans. So 
uh, yeah, very interesting. Well, also with the uh, with the idea of the octopus or octopuses, what fascinates me, and I, I think this happens to you as well, Katie. You find yourself in these in these rabbit holes, right? And for me, the rabbit holes are often toward the end of the night. Yeah. You know, when when I should be sleeping. Yeah, 2 a.m. Uh, it's it's the uh, best time to Google stuff. It's the time to go, you know? And then for me, it's like I'll I'll whip out my, like my old textbooks and start trying to trying to figure out some weirdly fictional scenario I've made in my head. And the main thing for me with, with octopuses is I would love to find a way to uh, extend their lifespan. Yeah. A lot of anti-octopus people are against this, of course, <laughs> but uh, but just imagine what you- Mothers against <laughs> octopuses, I hate them. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, that's that's a different Mao. Uh, but the, uh, the, the problem with that is like, um, well, it's not a problem. It'd be great for spycraft, kind of, maybe, at least for uh, maritime surveillance, but- you write about octopus intelligence. And well, you know, there is a way actually to extend their lifespan. Um, is it surgical? It is surgical. So if you remove, it is, so, yeah. I, it is basically, I forgot what the name of the organ is, silly me, mm -hmm. but it is basically a hormone gland similar to like the, um, the thyroid in a human that will release release basically sex hormones for the octopus and if you remove this in a female uh it does not die immediately after uh basically caring for its its uh, brood of eggs so normally in the wild the female mm -hmm. will mate um it will lay a bunch of eggs uh in sort of this like beautiful it almost looks like a strand of of jewels or beads mm -hmm. and then it will aerate them it doesn't eat this whole time it starves itself for months and months and and it'll gently aerate the water and oxygenate the water and take care of these eggs and then it will die because it's malnourished uh and it's spent months just like expending all of its in energy into making sure that its eggs have the best chance of survival now, if you remove yeah. Uh, either sever or remove this gland, the octopus females no longer have this instinct and they do not care for their brood and they continue living. So uh, that's the trade-off. <laughs> so what, like, I, I remember we've read some of the same things, you know, yeah. this is, this is one of those moments where I have the, <laughs> I don't know if this happens to you, but I, I have the, uh, like the, the dark night of the research soul. Where, yeah, you know, I notice the time and I go, oh boy, it's, it is 4 a.m. I've learned a lot about octopus <laughs> surgery. Right. Maybe I can, maybe I can tell people that's why oh, I can't make the Are you a subscriber of octopus surgery monthly too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually in the octopus surgery of the month uh, club. Oh, I love is, that. Yeah. You get a new surgical implement every month. Uh, that yeah. You can I know. I have no idea how to DIY use DIY octopus surgery. Yeah. That's what that's what you and I are going into uh, as a side hustle for podcasts. Like the pandemic's um, been rough on everyone. All right. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a it's a gig economy. You yeah. Know, really. Yeah. And octopus surgery. You always got to train. You got to train all your life for mm -hmm. new things. And uh, so it, it appears too that like I, now I'm thinking of the nature of quote unquote conspiracy in the animal world with lemurs. Uh, I. 
I believe that I have underestimated them. I have yeah. no idea that they were this intelligent because as you said, the fact that they are kind of an, an earlier offshoot of the things that eventually down the line become human beings made me sort of assume quite incorrectly that they were also unintelligent. So yeah. this is this is fascinating. I mean, I know I I know that there is a like a, a compelling physiological reason for the sunning, um, as you as you explained. But I'm I'm just going to choose to think they're meditating. I is mean, that okay. You know what? Like we don't we don't know. Maybe they do get. I'm sure they probably get some kind of psychological um, benefits from that because they're relaxed. They're with their buds. They got suns out, buns out. I, I'm sure huh. it's a relaxing. It may even be meditative experience for them. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out, but we do have to take a break. Uh, When we return, I want to quickly cover uh, one of the most infuriating stories uh, I've ever covered on the show. It is a conspiracy to frame snakes for the evil deeds of humans. And then finally, we will reveal the answer to last week's Guess Who's Talking Mystery Sound Contest. So we will be right back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So, Ben, I this actually legit makes me really mad. So I don't want to spend too much time dwelling and stewing on it. But it was something that I discovered in my research. And I just, it, it's, yeah, it, ma- it makes me angry. So one of the most despicable types of conspiracies is to... Frame someone for your own misdeeds when you agree, like if you you're framing someone for a horrible thing that you committed, that's just the lowest of the low. 
And it's it's even worse when you already take someone who's kind of a social outcast or a misfit mm-hmm. and you frame them for something you do. And in this case, uh, snakes and birds of prey are being set up to look like the bad guy in videos that really portray human uh, human uh, evil. So in this case, snakes and birds of prey are being set up to look like the bad guy in videos where it is actually the human committing the evil act. So uh, according to National Geographic's Dina Maron, uh, there is apparently a trend of YouTube videos that portray daring quote-unquote animal rescues. So for instance, there's a hapless gibbon being attacked by a Burmese python, and then a brave person steps in and saves the gibbon, or a crocodile is about to chomp down on a duck, and some hero steps in and saves the duck. Um, now, I think listeners of the podcast and probably you too, Ben, like you already sense something's wrong here because uh, intervening in nature when like a predator is about to eat uh, its typical prey is, you know, it's, it's, I understand the empathetic response you have, but it'd be kind of like if an alien came down to earth and then smacked a burger out of your hand as you were just about to eat it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or or even an apple and said, hey, that apple's a living thing too and smacks it out of your hand and then you can't eat. Uh, so, you know, animal rescues where uh, someone is intervening with the predator-prey dynamic, it's like, well, okay, I-, I guess you saved that cute duck, but now that crocodile won't have a meal. So... Uh, and, and you know, it's, uh, animals got to eat too. They got to eat to live. Yeah. There's, there's something, um, although it, it, it's surely well-intentioned, there's, there's something incredibly, um, self-important you could argue about yeah, entering, in, yeah, entering into this, this huge system, this grand, like, uh, this grand story that yeah. was doing just fine before we got on the scene yeah. like like i i think you know we have to understand that if if the crocodile or the alligator could think in historical terms like this human beings would be a very new and somewhat irritating yeah. thing yeah you know like what what it would be it would, it's yeah. the alien smacking the apple yeah, yeah. for sure and I, I think that's a very I think that's a very smart way to put it. Um, and I know that there are arguments too uh, for intervening in some situations, like protecting um, maybe some uh, animal that's already endangered from an invasive species. Yeah, but of course. Th- that's, yeah, that's that's kind of an exception yeah, or to a, a larger pet, rule, like right? protecting a pet from a wild animal. And I totally oh, yeah. understand the empathy that people feel when they see a predator eat some prey, like I, as much as I love predator species, I love snakes, I love birds of prey, doesn't mean I don't Mm -hmm. feel bad for the prey that they're about to, about to eat, but it's just, you know, it's a, it's a fact of life that, you know, snakes got to (laughs) eat and sometimes snakes going to eat something cute. But the thing is, that's not just what's wrong with these videos. It's something much, much, much worse. So, Mm. According to herpetologists and other wildlife experts who have reviewed these videos, and I'm not going to say which ones because I just they don't deserve the clicks. So 
So, but such as the one with the Burmese python and the gibbon, uh, that that they watch these videos and they say these are definitely faked, and uh, so that means that some butthole grabbed a Burmese python, tossed it onto a gibbon, and then staged a heroic rescue traumatizing both a gibbon and a python in the process just for youtube views terrible terrible so there were a few tip-offs that the video was fake according to herpetologist mark aulia uh as we've talked about on the show before uh pythons are ambush predators it may not seem like hey they don't have legs how can they run up and uh ambush you but they're they're sneaky they will uh, sneak up on their prey. Sometimes they'll even drop down. They can get up a tree and then drop down on you. Quite a terrifying mm-hmm. prospect. Um, yes. And then they bite down onto their prey because that's important. If you're trying to coil yourself around some prey that's trying to get away from you, you may not be fast enough to coil around before it runs away. But if you bite down and then you start wrapping around them, that's it. That's game over for that that animal that you're about to eat. They're also typically nocturnal, so most of their hunting is done at night. But in these rescue videos, miraculously, for the benefit of good videography, all of these are happening during the day. Go figure. Also, oh. in this video, the herpetologist noticed that the Burmese python, which basically always bites down on its prey before wrapping around it, was not biting the the gibbon. Uh, so it was shot during the day, was not biting the gibbon, just kind of was flopped over it, looped around it. It seemed extremely likely, if not absolutely certain, that this was a faked video where the person put the python on the gibbon and terrified the poor little gibbon, probably confused the python, maybe even traumatized the python as well, because they don't like being handled. They don't want to be scratched. Like They don't even typically eat gibbons. They will. If they're big enough and, and they see an opportunity, but they, they'll mostly eat, you know, um, more like a, a rodent or a rabbits. Um, I'm also going to just, you know, as a non-herpetologist, I'm going to just throw it out there. I think uh, I think most snakes don't like being thrown, I would no, imagine. Right? No, no, no. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think snakes like being thrown. I don't think they like, in fact, it, they may not seem like delicate creatures, but they, they are. They they. They are. Um, they don't like being manhandled. They can get very stressed out, um, uh, and so yeah, you don't you don't want to just like you know manhandle a snake for YouTube videos. You don't want to traumatize a gibbon for YouTube views. Uh, it's completely ridiculous. Um, other videos are clearly staged because they use the same damn snake over and over again. No, yes. poor guy. Yeah, so of course, maybe like when you look at a snake and, you know, I'm not going to act high and mighty. If I saw one python and then I saw another python, I'm not going to be able to tell necessarily the difference between the two pythons. They're going to look the same to me. But in fact, they do have facial markings that are very specific to each individual. So if you study these videos and you look at their facial markings, you can see it's the same individual python used in multiple videos. So this poor python just keeps getting like involved in these videos where it's like placed with some cuter animal, I suppose. And then the rescuer grabs it away from it. Whereas this python's like, I'm literally not doing it. Why are you doing this? Like, I'm just being a snake. 
you know, mm-hmm. just being I'm a... I'm just trying to snake. I'm just trying to snake. I'm a big living pool noodle and you won't leave me alone. <laughs> right. You're throwing me at things. Yeah. Tearing me off things. And now I... I'm the bad guy. Oh, I see. Then... I'm the bad guy because I want lunch and you keep like shoving some lunch in my face and I don't even really want to eat it. Uh, mm-hmm. But then you're like, no, bad snake. And then then you get a million YouTube views. What is this? Yeah, and no, it's, plus it's this, horrible. This Gibbon hates me now. We don't. Right. We never even met. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like that is that's another that's another uh, weird human analog. What if so? What if so? You met someone because someone else just threw them at you. Right. Right. You Despite know, even this person now, uh, I don't want to. Like, right. <laughs> even if they're the nicest person. Yeah. You know. There's still always going to be in your head the person that got thrown at you like a a rock. It's a very awkward situation. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I mean, like it's it's very it's very clearly animal abuse, very cruel. Uh, Sometimes you can see like if a bird of prey is in one of these videos of like, hey, Falcon, leave that random like smaller animal alone that, you know, Mm -hmm. we've arbitrarily decided you should not eat, you know, while we eat our burgers and so on. Yeah, the falcons in these videos will sometimes have their wings clipped. So an or ornithologist can see like, yeah, it's it's had its wings clipped. It can't fly away. It's it's a it's horrible. Um and you know, it's it's just it's one of these things where my feeling is that nature is so incredible on its own. I mean, we talked about lemur stink fights, right? Like that that you can there is so many there's so many things we don't need these sensational uh fake videos and it's the thing that i think makes me the most angry about this is it preys on people's sense of empathy um yeah. so i don't i have no anger towards people who watch these videos and like them because I don't think that they are getting duped uh and of course you're not like it's not you don't even have to be stupid i don't think like someone who watches this video and thinks it's a genuine video, it's like you don't expect someone to like kidnap a snake and throw it on a gibbon and use it in multiple videos. That's just not something you're expecting. And our empathy response is very strong. We see this gibbon, we can clearly see this gibbon is scared and we feel empathy. And we're like, I want someone to go save that gibbon. And then someone does and you feel relief. That's very natural human empathy. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing that I think is wrong or bad, but it's so, so slimy to take advantage of human empathy like that. It makes my skin crawl. I absolutely agree. And if you want to see incredible moments in nature, there's there are a lot of things out there. There are documentaries. Uh, there are, you know, amateur videos made in good faith by people who are seeing these amazing things take place. Like Gibbons sing, you know what I mean? And you, you can, you can watch that. That's, that's pretty um, inspiring. Now genre of music wise, this singing may not be for everybody, but it is real. It's not faked to um, just kind of prey on our own psychological tendencies and uh, snakes you know, I know snakes like a Gibbon song aren't for everybody, but they are, they are amazing, amazing creatures. You yeah. know, I, I like they're playing life on hard mode. You know what I mean? Yeah. No legs, no arms, <laughs> just 
right. Going for just, it. Just just tube, just tube in it. Yeah, just I mean pool tube. I mean it is yeah, I, it's it's very frustrating for me as someone who uh, I think is I really love the less I guess they're, they're sort of the less charismatic uh species of animals, the the less gregarious animals that get really popular cuz I love I you know like we love pandas and koalas and and uh, and cute little monkeys, and of course I love those animals too. Um, but I think things like snakes and spiders and hawks mm-hmm. and um, you know bats these are all these are all amazing animals that also deserve our respect. And so it's just so infuriating when someone is first of all abusing animals and then doing it in a video where they're like kind of getting you to manipulating you emotionally to hate this snake for just snaking around. In terms of spotting these fake videos, um, it can be tricky. And again, I do not, people who get like taken in by by these uh, videos, you're not dumb. It's just, Mm -hmm. you're being manipulated by someone who has no scruples. And it's like, of course, you see a snake attack a gibbon. It's your first thought isn't like, maybe someone carefully doctored this. Um, But if you want to know some tips to kind of like look, see if you can spot the fake video, one thing is if you notice the channel has a bunch of animal rescue things that are similar, highly unlikely. So like if they're constantly saving some animal from like a snake or a hawk or a crocodile and it's like the same channel, those things, first of all, just don't, you don't encounter that very often. A lot of predators are nocturnal, so you're not going to see them during the day. It's very difficult to catch those things on camera. Documentaries like Planet Earth, where you see these incredible and gory scenes where you, you see a shark like tear a uh, seal in half or something horrific, or you know, mm. you see uh, lions like take down some, some prey. It can take years, uh, or at the very least, many months to get a really good shot of something like that to get really good footage of a predator and prey. And certainly you're not typically going to be up close and personal to that happening. You're going to freak out both the prey and the predator animal. So, yeah. So typically if the channel is just like nothing but like a bunch of these, like I just saved a duck out of the mouth of a crocodile and it keeps happening. It's like that should set off a red flag. Another red flag is they're all shot during the day you know, just check, look to see, hey, are these animals actually, uh, do they, are they most active during the day or active during the night? That's another tip off. Um, typically, uh, sort of uh, legit naturalists aren't going to intervene. So like there may be a video of some cool uh, predation going on, but a naturalist or a researcher or biologist is not going to snatch that prey out of that predator's mouth. So that typically doesn't happen. Uh, in okay. like legit yeah. videos, so yeah, just... you might hear you might hear a narrator right talking about the the beautiful slash brutal cycle. Right, of right, exactly. You like might hear it. the voice of Sir David Attenborough. Yes, uh... yes. <laughs> but David, Dave, Dave's not the type of guy no, no. to intervene. No, he no, lets no. nature take its course, yeah. and so should we. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that those are just a few tips for spotting fakes. I've certainly been faked out by not not by this type of video, but there there have been like internet videos where like, wait, is that real? And I think maybe it's real, and then I find out no, it's completely fake. So 
just some tips and tricks to sort of suss out those those videos, you know, and if it seems like too incredible to be real, just like just do a little Google search. You know, it's it's actually you can find out uh, those things. And I think that's like such an important lesson, especially now when we just have so much disinformation, like through Facebook, just this constant pipeline of bull honky it's so frustrating I mean, we <laughs> talked about the the horse medicine at the beginning of the show where people just are getting this information like don't trust 99 percent of science just to trust this one terrible study that had to be retracted that maybe when you put horse medicine in a petri dish it does something uh to COVID. and it's like no that's not how research works don't take horse medicine uh you will not turn into a horse but you might go no. sterile <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yes, that is that is true, folks. Uh, if if you and you can check this very easily, there is a there are indications of a distressingly high uh, likelihood of uh, of this horse of horse medication. One in specific that we don't have to give airtime to uh, <laughs> causing sterility in men specifically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, uh, and you'll get a lot of diarrhea. So nobody needs that. Uh, yeah. But unless, unless you're planning on a stink fight, yeah, yeah. you're <laughs> stink you fight. stay away Ugh. from it. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of incredible footage that is very real, uh, here's an example of something that seems like it's a, it's fake footage, but it, it's actually something that was taken by researchers. So um, there was. Uh, <laughs> Footage of a giant tortoise in the Seychelles archipelago uh, stalking and killing a baby bird, which we typically have thought that giant tortoises are strict herbivores. So the fact that it went on the hunt for an adorable baby bird was not only horrible to look at, but also really surprising from a behavioral uh, perspective. So the bird was a turn chick, very cute, very small, very lovable. And then this out of freaking just nowhere, this giant, well, not out of nowhere, it's a little bit slow, but slowly out of nowhere, this giant tortoise creeps up on it and approaches the bird and then just chomps right on its head and swallows it whole. What? Is that a usual thing? Nope. Uh, so the <laughs> general understanding is that giant tortoises are herbivores so the fact that it ate a baby bird and in fact not just ate but seemed to stalk and eat a baby bird is mind-blowing so now researchers are scrambling uh they're wondering okay is this just one weird perverse turtle or is it uh turtles that do this occasionally or is it like when certain food sources are scarce like what's going on why are the turtles eating the baby birds? Is this a sign of the apocalypse? Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's it just goes to show you, like, uh, you know, whenever there are these fake videos out there, it's like when you find a real video, it's usually way cooler, way more intense than any of the fake stuff. Agreed, one hundred percent. Yes. So, yeah, with that, before we go, I actually want to reveal the answer to last week's Guess Who's Talking contest. So, 
uh, every week. Uh, this is a new game that I am playing uh, with you, the listener, and you, the guest, where I play a mystery sound of any animal on the earth, and you have to guess who is making that sound. Uh, and I only give one little hint. So last week, the hint was it is an argument between two Canadians. And here is the sound. So do you want to guess, Ben, who is talking in the mystery sound segment? Uh, yes. And is there is there a clue? Yeah. Yes. Uh, these are two Canadians having an intense conversation. Are they our producers? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Our, our producers this are not This show Canadian. has uh, been canceled. We're sorry for the interruption. <laughs> So, yes, so uh, this is, um, okay, initially I was going to guess goats because I know I've heard some yeah. strangely human-like vocalizations. Yeah, they can scream goats, pretty good. Yeah, yes, they can. <laughs> but uh, uh, given that clue, without using a lifeline or cheating via Google, I am going to guess, was it Canadian geese? Oh, you're so close, but alas, ah. no. Uh, so congratulations to the first three people to write in with the correct answer. Uh, Pepper Le Pew, Allison Key, and Enrique, who guessed, drumroll, Canada Lynxes. What? That's Congratulations. Right. Congratulations. Oh, Canada, you guessed mm. the weirdest noise. Yeah, so these are... <laughs> Two Canada lynxes. Uh, Canada lynxes are fluffy, muscular, swole felines with amazing sideburns. They live in boreal forests in, well, Canada. They also live in Alaska in the very tippy top of North America. They have amazing fluffy feet that look like Ugg boots that cover their toe pads to keep their tootsies warm during winter. Typically, they're not very social. They don't hang out much. So the fact that someone caught on video two lynxes face-to-face -face yelling at each other, having some kind of argument probably over territory is pretty incredible. And yes, they really do sound like two people just screaming at each other in like, you know, a Walmart arguing over some, some Mountain Dew, you know? That's how it happens. Ah! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when you try to take my mound deal? I just scream. Based on what we've we've discussed about cats earlier, uh, I have I have much more appreciative of <laughs> of my own pets. Yes, for not talking that way. They do not talk to you in that tone of voice. Not while they live under your roof. Hey, I will I will throw this Mountain Dew outside. Yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I will, I will turn this kitty tree right around. Uh, yeah, you got you gotta let them know who's boss, or they're gonna walk all over you. Probably, literally, they probably already do. It's too late. 
Well, so for this week, I have another mystery sound in our game of Guess Who's Talking. Um, I will give you another hint. It is you do not want to get in a knife fight with this guy. And now here is the sound. All right. So, uh, Ben, you got any guesses who's making that incredible sound? Oh, I'm scared to go 0 for 2 here, Katie, because I'm not an expert, but I want to say something about it. You say don't want to get in a knife fight. Something about that clue plus that sound makes me want to guess in the direction of amphibian. No, maybe a... a uh, is there a frog that can like, or a frog or a toad that can break its bones and kind of like again Wolverine out? There is. It's called a hairy, hairy frog. Uh, but my, I have a poker face on. I, I reveal nothing to to you of this All game. Right. For the answer will okay. only be revealed next Wednesday on the next episode <sighs> of Creature Feature. Uh, so you know, make your guesses if you wanna. You want to bet on bowling? Uh, you might guess the hairy frog, uh, or make oh your own guesses. Uh, <laughs> 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 Not to put any pressure on you, but thank you so much for joining me today. Tell the people where they can find you, so they can get mad at you if you make them lose the bet. Thanks so much, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, for having me on the show, you can find me uh, in a number of places. I'm in a burst of creativity, uh, calling myself at Ben Bolin on Instagram, B-O-W-L-I-N. You can find, uh, you know, when you're on Twitter following Katie, which you should already be doing, then you can also follow me. I'm at Ben Bolin, H-S-W. And if you want to learn more about critical thinking applied to conspiracy theories, please do check out Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, available on, uh, you know, the podcast platforms. <laughs> available. I kind of I kind of petered out at the end there. <laughs> available in podcasts. Uh, yeah, and you can find me on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Twitter, at Creature Feet Pod on Instagram and at creaturefeetpod at gmail.com. And that's where you can send me in your answers to the Guess Who's Talking Mystery Animal Sound Guessing Game. And if you are both lucky and clever, you can get your name read out on the show if you guess the correct animal uh, for next week's Animal Guessing Game. And thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you're enjoying the show, uh, and you leave a rating or a review, it really does help me out a lot. I read all the reviews and I cherish them all, print them out, put them under my pillow, kiss them every night. Uh, literally, yes, I absolutely do that. Uh, and thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature features a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Where have you listened to your gosh darn favorite shows? I don't judge. I'm not the podcast police. Gosh darn it. See you next Wednesday.
you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.